This is the Creators for Climate podcast, an initiative born in Amsterdam with a view out onto the world. We're a mix of creatives, activists, and business folk, all impatient with the slow pace of change to tackle our climate emergency. As storytellers and myth builders, we have the power, influence, and responsibility to drive change. Last year in September, I went to the B Corp Summit in Amsterdam. The B Corp Summit is hosted by B Lab. So for those of you who don't know what B Lab or B Corp is, I spoke to Katie Hill, chair of the management board of B Lab Europe, and this is what she said. Yes, so B Lab is now a global uh, network of partners who are all set up as not-for-profits across uh, different parts of the world and their job is to roll out the B Corp movement in their countries and the B Corps are businesses that are trying to do much more, they're for-profit businesses but they're trying to do much more than just make profit. So they take as much care and concern about the impact that they have in how they do business and why they do business and what they do for their business as they do about their financials and their returns to shareholders if they have them. So uh, they're the future. (laughs) The Bee Summit in Amsterdam lasted the best part of two days. It was organized by Bee Lab with contributions from the companies that make up the Bee Corp movement. On the first day, Bee Lab co-founder Jay Gilbert set the tone in his keynote to state the emergency of the times that we live in. Unfortunately, I didn't catch that on audio. But here's the next best thing. Katie Hill recaps the message from their founder. Yes, so one of the key themes really of the um, of the summit, which Jay so beautifully articulated, is the urgent call for action, the systemic breakdown that we're seeing. We know that capitalism as it currently is structured is not working. The rules of the game just don't work to create a fair, just, equal society, and they are certainly not working to protect our planet. So as part of the real drive for what can businesses do, because there's such a big determinant, the probably the most powerful man-made mechanism we have for creating um, equality and justice and standards of living, what can they do to address this? And so Jay really made a, a really big call out, which is we have to become real advocates for another form of capitalism, and we have to demonstrate it can be made available and we have to push to change the rules of the game. It isn't necessary that capitalism can never work, but it can't under the current rules. So one evidence of this is the breakdown in climate. Uh, We see this urgent, urgent and emergent need to all of us to reduce our footprint. And so we made, uh, Jay made a very big um, uh, call to action on behalf of all the B-Lab community to think about whether they could declare themselves able to say this is a climate emergency and as a response to that, that they themselves, businesses, could sign up to say I will be carbon neutral by 2030. So this is a podcast in two parts. If you missed the first, I recommend going back. There are some really nice interviews with leaders from Patagonia, Fairphone, Hatched and Active Philanthropy. They talk about how using business for good is really helping them create change, and also what role creativity has in creating that impact. Listen on and you will hear from Anuradha Chug from Ben & Jerry's, Inzo van Zanta from Tony's Chocolonely, and Judith Joan Walker from African Clean Energy. At the end of the podcast, I speak to Katie Hill, who together 
with me looks back at the B Corp Summit to see what the impact was and how they are now looking forward. So I'm here at the B Corp Summit in Amsterdam. It's day two. We've just stepped out of the morning session with a few panels and also quite a pointed keynote speech from uh, the co-founder of the B-Lab talking about how we really need to act now. Um, I'm sitting here with Anuradha Chug, who is the managing director of Ben and Jerry's in Europe. And I'd like to ask you, Anuradha, your first impressions of you've been here for a day or two. How do you experience this B Corp Summit this year? I see a complete shift in the tone and the urgency in the B Corp Summit this year. Last year it was very much about B Corps encouraging each other, uh, helping each other to be better B Corps. This year it's really about working together, banding together, speaking up and using our collective force to make urgent changes. Uh, the theme is climate, it's around the whole UN conference as well, but I think it's palpable. The energy and the urgency that I see around the room for the last two days is really, really palpable. And you yourself were in a session yesterday on the climate emergency. I heard that the B Corp uh, community is drafting a declaration. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yes, I was, I mean, I'm privileged to lead the Ben & Jerry's business. And as the Ben & Jerry's business, we've been a values-driven business with, you know, linked prosperity at our heart. And uh, what we really hold dear to enable linked prosperity is climate justice and social equity. So it was a privilege to speak at the B Corp community. And I think the declaration of emergency is another way of really getting businesses to come together and uh, not be shy to stand up, stand up in support for the NGOs, the individuals who are really asking for change, but also stand up to ask and work together with NGOs, grassroots NGOs, with our fans, with the communities and with politicians to get systemic change. I'd love to hear more about Ben & Jerry's. I heard a few things that we were talking about this morning about the way you were organized. Can you tell me a little bit about how you work as an enterprise when it comes to your purpose and the campaigns that you run when you see climate? We believe that businesses have the power. Businesses have the power through their own practices, so you know how they supply, how they work with farmers, and that's absolutely like a bare must, must do. We also believe that um, we have a superpower, and our superpower is our voice. We have a fun tone of voice, which uh, gets people in, and it makes topics like refugee and asylum rights, like climate, much more palatable for, for our fans. You know, we say if it's melted, it's ruined, uh, and we say that for our ice cream, and we say that for the planet as well. And that's something people understand immediately in one line. And that's how we can use creativity um, that normally businesses use to sell yet another flavor of ice cream or yet another pack of XYZ. We use our creativity, our innovation to really get these messages across to people in a way that's fun, engaging, but also very powerful. Wonderful. It is, a, it is a really wonderful example of how creativity is used in business and as a B Corp to spread this message. And it's linked to the Extinction Rebellion. We talked about this, who has raised actually a, an invitation to the creative industry and also, I think, to campaigning enterprises to tell the truth and to act and to see those beyond politics. Do you recognize any of these three demands as like valid or something that you really uh, stand behind? 
Yes, absolutely. You know, you can't talk if you don't walk. Yeah. So, so you've got to yourself uh, take um, science-based targets, and that's what we've done. Uh, you've got to take them stretching targets, and you've got to be open and transparent about where you are on that journey. Absolutely, I, I believe in that. But I think the fear of taking targets or not meeting targets uh, sometimes keeps companies from talking or shouting out. Mm. And I think that's not helpful. So we must put our heads above the parapet. Yes, eggs will be thrown at us, but that's where the strength of each other comes in as well. We are all on a journey. You know, no one knows how we're going to get to these SDG goals that we've all put for ourselves, um, which is why it's even more important that we are transparent, honest, but also then together ask for changes that are bigger than what one business can do. Whatever I do, I will not... Uh, and I'm talking as a big company, right? But whatever I do as a big company is still not going to make this transformation possible. All of us have to do it together and together we've got to get policies to change, systems to change. Nice, so that really looks also at the beyond politics idea of that it's no longer one actor in society. And I know that Ben and Jerry's always started as, a, you know, two, two guys and grew into like this campaign. So it's really in the, in the heart yeah. of what you do. do you, can you give any ideas about businesses who might not have this so much invested in their DNA? What would be a first step to start thinking about, you know, how to put a bigger purpose in a company? You know, uh, what is a company? A company is a bunch of people with money behind them. In the end, the bunch of people today are millennials, Gen Zs. They want the change. They want to be working in a business that is really doing some common good. And, and you know, our fans, we say our fans vote with their money. Yeah? So do our employees. You've got so many people here in this B Corp community for the last two days who are all sub-25, at least it looks like that to me. Yeah. And, and they're all you know, working on their own businesses or their own business ideas. So the big companies have to really put their heart behind a, a common good or they close down. Yeah. And really listen to their people because they're willing to do it, it sounds like. Yeah, thanks. And I guess you are such a leader in this space. When you think about the people or the role models, maybe personally uh, around you, who do you look at when you say, okay, this is someone I could learn from or I'd love to be uh, in, in, you know, uh, more like? I, I like reading a lot. Um, and so I, I like the theoretical side um, and, and the emotional side. So I kind of play them both. I was very inspired by the keynote speaker from, uh, from yesterday, John Elkington, who talked about green swans and almost a different spin on Taleb who I read as well, but I'm sometimes a bit uh, disillusioned when I read him. But I think for me, it's also, you know, the, the personal motivation comes from my, from my children. Mm. My 14-year-old daughter, who has been desperately trying to uh, join the climate strike and she didn't know how she should approach her teacher and ask for permission or not ask for permission. And just seeing the struggle of the young and the change that they want to personally make is very, very inspiring. I've got to do it for them. Yeah. I recognize that completely, the leaders of uh, our new economy, unfortunately and fortunately in some ways. I guess just one more question also about the B Corp. It's a good step that a lot of businesses are really starting to do it and actually put, you know, go through an assessment and look what their impact is. Do you think it's the answer? If every company became a B Corp, then that would be the solution? No, I don't think that's the answer. Uh, I don't think that's enough. Yeah? It's, it's definitely needed but it's certainly not enough. 
it's the kind of incremental conversation that we're talking about. If we need exponential, it really has to be B Corps inspiring big companies, big companies working together with B Corps and NGOs and the government. And then only can we see a transformation. This U-bend that we need can come not by being a clique of B Corps and kind of trying to hold it to ourselves, but really about working together with a much, much, much wider society. I'm here with Judith Joan Walker from African Clean Energy, a B Corp, and she's going to tell us a little bit about what you do. Thank you. Yeah, African Clean Energy uh, is a B Corp, very proudly so. And what we do is we manufacture, distribute, and pre-finance energy products for households in developing markets. So we currently manufacture in Lesotho, and we're distributing in Lesotho, Uganda, and Cambodia. And the goal there being to provide basic energy access, so cooking, heating, lighting, and phone charging with a really top product. And we um, have to pre-finance them because most of our customers don't have access to finance and cannot afford these kinds of products outright. And so setting up that whole distribution network and really a much more customer-centric company in countries where that often isn't the case is sort of what we're committed to. What are the products that I'm supposed to like uh, visualize now when you say the kind of product you do? So it's a household energy system. It looks a bit like a, a kind of a big pot. It's actually a cook stove. So what happens is you put wood or cow dung or agricultural waste in the top of it, light it on fire. Because it's a forced draft cook stove, it gasifies fuel completely so it doesn't have any smoke. And because we want people to be able to use this very effectively off-grid without access to electricity, it actually comes with a solar panel that provides basic electricity needs as well. So phone charging, LED radio, these kinds of things. And so it's sort of an all-in-one household solution for these households that currently cook on open fire, don't have access to electricity, It's the kind of households that actually, uh, at the moment, and this is a really horrific statistic, more than four million people a year die from household air pollution. And that's pulmonary disease, heart disease, and it's according to the WHO, and it is this horrifically huge-sized problem. And the key reason is the only option people have for their energy access is to burn wood or charcoal in an open fire inside their home, and that's what we want to work against. Amazing, and you must take quite a few sustainable development goals with that. And you uh, say four million is that statistic? How big are you in tackling this such a pro disproportionate amount of yeah problems? With a problem of this size, it's it's difficult in proportion. Uh, so we're about I think we're. Fifty-five to 60,000 uh, households in and currently distributing in three markets, scaling very rapidly. The, the, the main challenge has been how do we make sure that these households can afford to invest in a product like this. It's about you know, $100 to $120 in the markets where we sell them. We sell them direct to customer, which is really important. One of the things that we believe very firmly is that they need to be at the center of this Uh, value chain, which means that you know they they also have to be the ones choosing to invest in it. But it, it, there's a difference between cheap and affordable. That's a really sort of big theory that we have, which is it it can be quite a lot of money for that household, but they must be able to easily afford to pay it off, right? 
So, yeah, in terms of size, we're getting there. We're really starting to get a good foothold in three very different markets. We're getting all the partners on board. There are supporters of this mission that understand how challenging it is to actually reach this type of customer. But seeing that we're able to get those results, that people do repay their loans, that they are using the product, that it is having an effect on the CO2 per household that they admit on just, I mean, anecdotally saying, oh yeah, that cough I had for six years is gone. You know, this kind of thing is, is very encouraging and we're seeing the success of it and we're seeing it growing. When you're looking at a third of the world is, is cooking on open fire, yeah, it's kind of a, a drop in, a, in the ocean. If, if not maybe a very large bucket, but we're, we're getting there. Nice, so what does growth mean to you then when you say a lot of people talk about degrowth and no more growth, but in this case, it sounds like it's something that's really important. Growth means to me that we can reach many more people. And for us, that means setting up distribution networks in very rural areas and giving more people jobs in those areas. You know, we need additional fuel retailers, we need additional uh, sales agents within our network. So for me, the exciting thing about the way that our business is structured is that all of the growth that we have in terms of uh, people joining and the reach and the retail network, all of those have really great positive impact along the way as well. It's not just in the end result, but actually the end result is the biggest impact that we can have. So it's, it's exciting to see that even the incremental growth can have a lot of impact. And that's, that's what we get excited about. Nice. I guess the question here at the B Corp Summit is what does B Corp do for a company that's so good about their impact anyway and was set up for that sole purpose? Yeah, that is an interesting question. I think it's one that we asked ourselves when we started with the certification because it is a process. I mean, it's quite a lot of work and you really have to get to know uh, what you're doing. And I think for us, it allowed us to, I guess, kind of set the bar for ourselves as well. We have 149 points, so it wasn't a question of whether or not we were going to pass and be a P Corp. When we Out of how many? I think it's uh, 200 possible, but 80 is a pass. So if you get to be a B Corp at 80 and we've got 149 so it's pretty, pretty it's cool. really good it's great yeah I'm really proud of that and you know and we we work very hard to make sure that on all the various levels in our company we are doing the kinds of things that we want to see done and I think a big reason for me to be a part of something like the B Corp movement is because I agree that this is how things should be done I agree people should be paying attention to how do you treat your customers? How do you treat your employees? Are you doing what you personally think is, is ethical and right and moral? Are you pushing that within your company? You're setting the example. Are you leading the way? It reminds people that sort of business as usual, plodding along, oh, everyone else does it too, kind of mentality just is not good enough. It makes it cool. It makes it a, a force for good. It is empowering, I think. You know, it, it wasn't so much about like a stamp of approval for us. It's about also showing a good example of what you what you should be doing. And it keeps us paying attention. I, you know, if my score slips, right, if I do a reassessment, I'm going to be like, what happened? We need to make sure that we're keeping up our, you know, the, the, the goal we had of always being proud of every level of the company and always, it's funny, but my, my brother and I run the company together and he always said, if anyone ever asks me a question, I want to be proud to tell them the truth. And that's kind of how we run our company. 
And I think being able to have someone give you a list of like, hey, here's what we think is good, and you can go, yep, 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 it verifies it for yourself as well. What I hear you saying in that sense is just a B Corp assessment is just not good enough. It's also about standardization and benchmarking for yourself, but the better you are when you step in, the more you can get out of it. Yeah, I think so. And I think just getting a, a sticker to say you're in a club, I think, doesn't change anything. It's all of us now getting together in a room and saying, this is what we need to be doing, and this is how we inspire each other, and this is how we drive it forward, and this is how we change policy. That's what's exciting about this. It isn't just a like a prize or a cookie or a medal. I mean, that's not what it's about. It's about driving change for the better. So here, day two B Corp Summit in Amsterdam, and it's close to lunch, so we're kind of getting hungry, but uh, we still have time for an interview with Inzo van Zante, chief or Choco, Choco evangelist from Tony Chocolonis. Welcome. Thank you. So you've had a session this morning uh, in the plenary about uh, what Tony's does and how it's getting involved in um, bigger the bigger problems in the world and how the business itself is, is still staying connected and active? Yeah. I think people sometimes think that we are trying to be funny and we're not. We just like to, uh, to convey a serious message, sometimes in a lighter way. Uh, and we communicate very much on the same level with consumers and, and with the business around us. And that I think people find inspiring. So, um, so it's getting out there a lot. So really connecting with people around you about what moves them and still being a, a corporation because you have a B Corp certification. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about wh what that means? Why is that important? Being a B Corp and, and I think our DNA, the B Corp DNA has always been very much aligned anyhow. So for us, financial success in itself is not a goal of, of doing business. For us, financial success as a commercial enterprise is an essential mean towards a goal, which for us is making impact, which for us is reaching that mission of 100% slave-free chocolate worldwide. And I think that's very much aligned with how B Corps function, where there's more to doing business than just making money. Yet, maybe today it's good to also emphasize it is an essential mean though. We're not, we're not a phil philanthropy, you know, we're a commercial business making impact through making chocolate. You say it's really important if you become a business then to use that business as a vehicle for good to still realize that being a business is being financially sustainable that you need to make money and make sure I think that it's you... it's essential for people to understand, for businesses to understand that fulfilling your moral obligation of doing good around you, for the society around you, for the planet around you doesn't sit on the other end of a spectrum of being financially successful. It's been seen like that often. Whilst we show as now currently market leader in the Netherlands in chocolate and being financially successful, that they can go hand in hand. They can be the same thing at the same time. Just like for consumers, I think we make it easy to indulge yourself with a product like chocolate while still, through that indulgement, doing something right for the planet around you. And not indulging yourself too much, right? Because I remember you have like a BMI index in your annual report. So. Uh, let me correct you there again. We don't have a BMI bonus. We have a maintain your BMI bonus. Because the BMI bonus was politically incorrect after a while. No, it's true. I mean, in the end, we're also providers of uh, uh, very uh, dense, high calories. We're never shouting, eat as much chocolate as you can. 
If you are enjoying chocolate, when you are enjoying chocolate, then make sure that you're enjoying the right type of chocolate. And that goes for any product, not just chocolate, I think. I'm amazed to hear that you're market leader. I've been following it for years, obviously, but uh, congratulations on that. Especially when I hear you talking about being such a responsible business and still being quite activist. Can you, because we're really talking within the framework of the climate emergency now, and also the, uh, the invitation from the Extinction Rebellion to the creative industries, and I think extending also to more campaigning enterprises like yourself, to get involved, tell the truth, act now. Can you tell me a little bit about like how your company, or maybe even personally, you're involved with this with this topic. Well, my personal involvement have, has been much longer than my involvement uh, with chocolate. So, so yes, for me, it's a personal mission as a, as a human being on this planet as well, and as a father of two young children. And as a company, I mean, we're really proud of the fact that for the last two years in a row, we were uh, voted the most sustainable Dutch brand by the Dutch audience. Uh, and at the same time, that's also an obligation to really fulfill to, uh, that expectation, I think. So even though our primary focus is to make a difference on the social side of sustainability when it comes to improving the livelihoods of the farmers in Western Africa and making sure that they reach a level of at least a living income, we also take our obligation as a, as a business that emits uh, CO2, how we can reduce that as much as possible, hopefully till zero or even uh, uh, going to uh, crossing that line. So for example, what we've done in the last year is that we are now producing all our cocoa butter in Abidjan in Ivory Coast, thereby reducing the CO2 emissions on just the cocoa butter by 50% because we ship the cocoa butter ambient after it's been processed. So no, we no longer ship the cocoa beans for the cocoa butter. We work with a good shipping program to completely offset the emissions that we have in any uh, in, in shipping that we do across the oceans. And we're aiming to have a completely climate neutral bar before the end of next year. At the same time, it's always a balance between that commercial success and CO2 emissions, honestly. Uh, if you don't want to emit any CO2, then you need to stop breathing right now, right? And as a company, it's the same thing. What we what I personally, as a human being, and also as a company, Tony Stroccoloni, strive for is that at the end of the road, at least, you've made a net positive impact. So my, my personal definition of sustainability has always been picking up one more piece of paper in your lifetime than what you throw on the ground, as a metaphor. Thereby, in the end, having a positive impact, which, which doesn't mean that everything you do in life is for that specific part of the chain, perhaps the right decision, right? My personal struggle, for example, I need to travel a lot to tell this story of Tony's. Yeah, that is a personal struggle. So wherever I can, I take the train, but I need to fly as well. So my emissions are definitely higher than the average person on the planet and definitely higher than what we should have as a habitant of this planet. Yet in the end, I have a mission uh, to change the world in a different, uh, in a different field. I think we have an obligation as commercial businesses and commercially financially successful business of making a stronger stand when we believe in something. I think maybe for the last decades, we always chose this political middle ground often to make sure that we maintain our whole customer base and not lose anybody. And there's this saying that says, I don't know what the road to success is, but the road to failure is trying to please all of the people all of the time. And I think it's about time that we as companies, we as B Corps, take a stronger stand and, and then perhaps we lose some along the way, but we will win more. And if we don't, at least we stuck to our beliefs.
So I'm here today at the B-Lab offices in Amsterdam with Katie Hill, uh, chair of the management board of B-Lab Europe. It's about a month after the event in Amsterdam and we're here to see, um, uh, well, to look back and to see what it was like for everybody and to hear a little bit more about the summit. Lovely. Thank you, Tessa. It's lovely to be in conversation with you. And we're sitting in a room surrounded by all the B Corp festival chairs. So we are permanently reminded of our lovely time together. There are about 666 of us in the room uh, at the summit um, from 23 countries. So for me, it was a wonderful chance to learn about all the richness in the community from so many parts of Europe and beyond. Um, and I think this summit really brought up the key themes, the urgency we face and the role that business has to take to be clear, transparent, stand up and be counted. And people seem really ready for that, which was fantastic. So I heard of the declaration of declaring a climate emergency um, and I was also interested in how this came to be. Is it, uh, do people, the V Corps uh, come together? Is it the leaders that come together? How, do, how does a process like that work? Well, isn't it interesting how things have their moment when there's the right... Uh, the right issue. Sometimes the right issue can appear at the wrong time, and it just doesn't. Um, uh, it doesn't do. It doesn't sort of catch and take fire, and then something happens and the moment is it's like a tinderbox and you see this all over the world and obviously Greta Thunberg has been hugely influential in Extinction Rebellion and, and many many other mechanisms and, um, uh, and movements have started to pull in one direction and so I would say the B-Lab response was a really or not even response but their, their kind of sense of what we must do was being played out in so many different arenas um, and uh, the call is really, I mean, it's none too, none too early. You know, we, we could have made this call a way back. We've known the emergency is there. But somehow now it feels the trigger to take action and for people to go, yes, I'm, I'm on board. I've got, if I'm a B Corp or if I'm committing to making my business impact focused, I've got to be part of that change. But it's demanding. I mean, we're going to ask businesses to change fundamental things about the way they, they measure and monitor and manage their footprint. And that's going to be tough. Uh, but they're up for it and we've got to do it. I was wondering, so how do you see the movements around you uh, shaping up and also how do you look at it as a movement that has been around for so long that acceleration of the past year you say a tinderbox so I'm interested in how you can mm. learn from these movements yeah and actually just to, important to say I think the B Corp declaration fits so well with that agenda so you know what we're saying in there is we need to be honest transparent and clear tell the facts as it is there is an emergency and we business are part of the problem but we could be part of the solution and that's the call to action but also we need as B Lab to think about the standards we're setting our B Corps are we asking enough if we say this is a business that's in the you know in the top 0.1% of all businesses for thinking about impact. Are we asking enough of them? So we will do our own review and we will learn and work with other, other standard setters and other experts in climate who really know what is a reasonable kind of expectation to make within a 10-year time frame, for example. So that's a really important part of our collaboration with other movements. Um, and then we will also ask that we become exactly as Extinction Rebellion does, civil activists in a way that says... What's our voice? How do we make our voice work to, to show both that 
change can happen in business, but also that it's never enough and we've got to do more. Voice, voice, I hear voice. And sometimes I look at all the leaders in our um, uh, our tendency, I think, as a, as, a, as a culture to look at leaders and, and think of them as them leading the way. How do you see people personally taking leadership and maybe yourself in that way, how to look at your sphere of influence? Oh, that, do you know, that was a wonderful um, theme of a workshop that was run by uh, Pablo Estefes and uh, Daria Offman from um, Mzingo and from Better Future, a B Corp mm. in the Netherlands. And they ran a beautiful workshop about, um, do you know how far your reach is? I mean, you know, if you stretch your arms, do you know whether you've got the span of an eagle or an osprey or even an albatross, you know, and it's the same with your voice. To what extent have you got the reach? Do you know how far you can reach? And are you using it to the maximum effect? So I think there's something about almost knowing what the power of that is and the potential and then how to use it well is like an extraordinary kind of vehicle. But personal example feels hugely empowering and you see people in the B Corp movement who are making extraordinary personally complex and hard decisions to live by their ethics those are leaders definitely they may be hidden from view but they are clearly they're leading with a values base that is so inspiring to to see so I think um I think you know all of us in the office here are terribly conscious about what we personally need to be doing how we can travel differently how we can eat differently how we can support our communities differently but yeah of course there's always more we can do but the idea of someone on the stage telling us you know how we do it. I feel that version of leadership has a role. It clearly has a role, but it's by no means the only version of leadership. We need we need sympathetic individual leadership, which is quite quiet sometimes and hidden, but a solid. Nice. So one of the other things I heard people say is we need a new narrative. What does the world look like rather than what are we losing? <clears throat> do you feel that the B Corps are uh, painting that narrative, or is it still something that is kind of looked at? at growth of, as progress, you know? Do you feel like there's also B Corps looking at themselves? What is that new narrative? What does the world look like when it's... Actually, you're, right, you're so right. There's something fascinating about this combination of storytelling and visualising a better future, but also working in the real world that's based on some degree of data and information. And jump. it's like a ladder, I feel. We have to go up and down this ladder of kind of visualising a future and telling a story of how it could look, but then bringing that data and that sort of evidence to closer and closer to that visualization and I think the difficulty is at the moment that we can visualize a really a fair and just planet with wonderful beaches and plastic are removed but we are really struggling uh, as a a world not just as a B Corp movement to work out what those pathways are to get there how do really really complex interconnected globalized businesses make those transformations and so we're all on a learning curve and that's very exciting and it means we have to innovate and try and trust new things and bring in expertise and thinking you need every discipline this is the Medici effect you need artists scientists technologists the lot um, to build the narrative and build that into reality Nice. I, I guess it's just a, a veering off a little bit. But the, interesting because it's a non-violent protest or a non-violent resistance approach that the Extinction Rebellion takes. But I noticed that in the Netherlands, there's a lot of resistance like um, uh, from a, a public um, appearance for, of the public exception of this um, uh, protest. Do you have any explanation why people are so um, resistant in the, in the public 
eye of people blocking the streets and upsetting traffic, etc. Mm. <laughs> Even if it is for a good cause, and I don't know what it's like in the UK. Similar again, and actually, yes, I'm learning a little bit of the, the cultural differences, which are really interesting. I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, people don't want to be challenged to break their normal habits. And um, uh, John Elkington, who was one of the speakers at the summit, put it beautifully, you know, very sorry for the inconvenience caused to your journey, but I can assure you the inconvenience that will come if we don't get below 1.5 degrees as a planet will be considerably worse. But you have to remember that when you're, you know, commuting to work or going to be late for a meeting. And I think... It, Everybody um, finds it really difficult not to treat the, the immediate future mm. with such extra value. You know, this uh, this this sort of um, dipping of importance yeah. or the hypothecated future <laughs> future value uh, means that actually nobody's really able to say the value of what happens in ten years' time has my immediate attention. Um, mm. uh, unless, and I do think this is where the storytellers are really powerful at helping us to not just be depressed and um, uh, and terrified but also to envisage yeah. that alternative and then maybe you can take a different approach when the road is blocked yeah. and and you can't get to work yes, uh -huh. well thank you very much for taking the time uh, to speak with me today and um well that was it thank you